episode two of their spooky, spooky <laughs> season 13. Lucky, unlucky, whatever we want to call it. Do you say unlucky 13 or lucky 13? I don't care either way. Okay. I don't <laughs> think it's lucky or unlucky. It's unlucky in Vegas. It's unlucky in Vegas? Yeah, they don't have a 13th floor in any of their buildings. Because oh. nobody guess, will stay on the 13th floor. I guess also it's um, like unlucky in like Friday the 13th yeah, too. Yeah, it's like an evil. Yeah, I don't know Evil who, number. But I feel like lucky number 13 is like a thing. I maybe think, it's lucky number seven. Yeah. That's maybe it. I'm wrong, <laughs> but either way, we're we're back. And this time, I did do a little planning, planning. Ooh. I had like two young people on this episode, so I'm excited about that. Yeah, I'm excited mm-hmm. too because I totally forgot who you're doing. Oh, fun, <laughs> good, good, good. Um, so we're not here to talk about um Friday the Thirteenth. No, we're here to talk about history on the rock with katie and Allie, this is a podcast where we talk about famous women in history we talk about good women and bad women and fictional women and non-fictional women from all times and places because women have nuance but keep in mind we are drinking the entire time and we are not historians yep. by any means no. we dibble dabble yeah um we make a a mean cocktail at mm-hmm. this point mm-hmm. yeah i'm excited about these these two drinks i yeah. think they'll be good it should be good i think mine's gonna end up being a little too sweet i think i should have added more bourbon but we'll be fine and it'll be good. it'll just be a light night <laughs> <laughs> um okay so you are busy you are currently in the aisles of walmart <laughs> the school supply list says you need a inch and a quarter three ring binder and they only have one inch and an <sighs> inch and a half so you don't know what to do. Do you yeah. screw your kid? Yeah. Do you just buy the other binder? Well, and it's hard too because do you risk them not them not having enough space, or do you risk them trying to shove this giant binder full of nothing into their backpack? Right. God, I know. I feel you, whoever you are in Walmart, because that was always me and my mom the night before school. Oh yeah. My mom was a teacher. She <laughs> is a teacher, and we were always the last ones getting our. And there's nothing left. School supplies, there's nothing left. It is the bare minimum. It's only Lisa Frank folders. Oh my gosh. We are it's cutting up paper bags and using them as contact <laughs> paper. Exactly. <laughs> exactly correct. So you don't have time. No. God, no. You are running around like a crazy person. Um, so we don't want you to stop in the middle of Walmart and Google these women to see what they look like. So in order for you to get a picture in your head while we're telling their story, we're going to describe them. Oh yeah. We're going to get a little... Physical, physical. Okay, Allie, who are you doing and what does she look like? I am doing Sybil Luddington, Mm. who is always depicted as a teenaged colonial American with fair skin. Um, She does have dark hair, but there are some paintings of her that are fictionalized with like a light blonde hair. Mm -hmm. She usually has on a long flowing cloak that's blowing in the wind behind her. Mm. And she's usually pictured on a horse in the dead of night holding a long stick. Okay. And that I don't is know why. What so. Sybil <laughs> looks like. Okay. <laughs> Who are you doing? What does she look like? We know, okay. all know what she looks yes, like. Yes, we do. I am doing Greta Thunberg. Uh, she is a young, white, Swedish girl who was 15 years old when she became famous, which I always thought she was, I felt bad. I thought she was like 11, <laughs> but she was 15. Uh, she has a circular flat face with small bluish green eyes that seem to kind of be like angled inwards a little bit. Mm-hmm. 
She has a small mouth that she sometimes twists if she's nervous or trying to find her words, which she has plenty of. She has blonde hair that is often parted down the middle and braided into two long braids, uh, but sometimes pulled back into a simple pony. Uh, She is typically wearing very plain clothes, notably a blue zipper-up sweatshirt, and in one of her most famous photos, a yellow raincoat. She often wears the same clothes over and over again because she doesn't like to spend a lot of money on new clothes, uh, and she's very against the fast fashion industry, and she's trying to live a life as sustainable as possible, um, which is why she always wears those little tiny blue shoes, too. Right. She's been wearing those shoes it, what, what's it take? It takes, like... 1,500 liters of water to make a pair of jeans yep. or something like it that. It is I always wild. There's like <laughs> stats. And I'm like, oh my God. Yep. Uh, but when she does get dressed up, like for the cover of Vogue Scandinavia, you can really see what a beautiful young woman she is becoming because she is 19 years old yeah. now. So that's Greta. We, we've got two <laughs> little teenage babies tonight. I, I love it. Okay. Um, so do you want to know what you're drinking? I do. It looks great. And it's perfect because we are just in the bosom of fake fall I know. right now. I know. It's, it's cold in the down. mornings. It's gorgeous. I'm wearing a sweater every morning. It's really And nice. I'm in the mood for this, whatever yes. it is. <laughs> this is called Sybil and Star. Ooh. And it is an ounce of bourbon. I actually put in an ounce and a half. Um, and should have done more. Two ounces of apple cider. Um, maple syrup, some orange bitters. Mm. You shake that all up, pour it in a glass over ice, and then you add some ginger beer or ginger ale on top, and then garnish it with a star in it. <gasps> Perfect. Which is so expensive. Cheers. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> Cheers. Mm. I love it. That's delightful. It is. It's really nice. Um, I also have felt the pains of buying star anise because i bought it for a cocktail years ago and it sucks because you buy it for a garnish and all the ones are broken right like you're like all i need is one good one (laughs) and a jar of them is like 11.95 i was was gonna guess 11 dollars. it's absurd (laughs) but it was like okay sometimes i just need it and i wanted a star for this one so yep Perfect. It is what it is. Okay. Worth it. <laughs> Tell me what you know about Sybil Luddington. I don't know anything. I don't know Good. what the stick is for. I don't yeah. know why she's on a horse. Okay. Uh, I'm. I, my first thought is like, is she like a little tiny female Paul Revere? Really? Yeah. Yes. Like, yes. She is. <laughs> she's a baby Paul Revere. I was like, I feel like they try and avoid putting women on horses. So yeah. it must the horse must be a part of it. Uh-huh. Um, I would love it if she were using that stick to like bash down mailboxes. But Listen, I don't even think they great. had mailboxes. I don't know if then. the Pony Express was <laughs> delivering to boxes at that point. But I don't even knows? think it existed. That that was yeah. just like a little boy running around town with letters. That was what they had. <laughs> okay. So yeah, this the story. Tony Express. Yeah. <laughs> I stole that from Wait Wait Don't Tell Me. That's funny. They said that the other day and I could not stop laughing about it. I love that you (laughs) cited your joke. Perfect. Um, Okay, so my resources for this there's a lot of youtube videos that i watched and then a lot of articles but in terms of youtube i watched the wise channel forgotten women she's on an episode of liberty kids which is like i love that show oh my god i watched the whole episode of liberty kids that that she was in she's they she's described 
on an episode of Drunk History. So she's been like increasingly popular in the last 20 to 30 years, but still not quite a recognizable name, especially if you're not from New York or Connecticut. Mm -hmm. Okay. So this story is also going to include some info about the war, some info about Paul Revere, just so like we can make some overall blanket comparisons. Perfect. Okay. So Sybil was born April 5th. So she's an Aries, just like producer, mm-hmm. 1761 in Fredericksburg, Virginia. That's a lie. Fredericks- <laughs> Fredericksburg, New York. I was going to say, Fredericksburg, Virginia. I've yeah. been there. In my head, Fredericksburg goes with Virginia. Uh-huh. She's the oldest of 12 children. Oh, God. Yeah. No, thanks. Right. Poor Abigail, which was the name of her mother. That's unbelievable. Her dad was Colonel Henry Luddington, and he was a mill owner, a farmer, and a military man. He was loyal to the crown Mm -hmm. until 1773 and then changed his tune. This happened to a lot of people. The British taxes and control of the colonies was a really slow process. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't overnight that people were like, you know, no taxation without representation. It was a period of 10 to 12 years that one after another, the crown kept changing rules and pissing off the colonies. Yeah. So 1773, he kind of changes and he's like, listen, I'm going to be a patriot. He had previously fought in the French and Indian War, which obviously the general of that war was also George Washington. Mm -hmm. So he's already kind of has a place in the military. Um, And because of that, he was a respected colonist, especially Uh a respected patriot. They were like, he already has war experience, which a lot of people didn't have, especially going up against the strongest army in the world. So they really needed that. Um, So he's the head of the local militia in his county, and militia are usually civilians with limited training, and they would stay at their own homes, and then at that point it was called Minutemen, when somebody would run through your town and say the British were coming, you had like like a firefighter, you had a minute to get yourself ready and get your weapons and get to the battlefield. We have a painting of a Minuteman in my parents' house. Do we? Yeah. Which um, one? Right Right in the door? No, when you come out of the bathroom on the... uh, top floor like on the second floor yes yeah yeah i know what you're talking about i've yeah. never stopped to look at that oh, painting you should is it the one it's like has like a gap it in has the like middle? a crack okay. because yes. it's like painted like on a piece of wood like wood slab. i should like figure out what the hell that's all about oh my gosh it yeah. looks very your mom i'm sure she knows <laughs> yeah okay that's cool i want to look at that now mm-hmm. now i'm gonna next time i go there well it's probably because we never go upstairs anymore right I mean, I do because I like to go to the bathroom up there. Yeah, because the downstairs ha- bathroom doesn't have a lock. Yeah, I know. But you can hold the door at least. In <laughs> That's that one. true. Mm. Okay. So it said that early in the war, when there was a group of 50 British men that came to capture her father on the family farm, uh, she hung bed sheets in all the windows and put candles behind them and then dressed up her little brothers and sisters in like tri-point hats and Uh. fake guns and marched them around (gasps) the house so it looked like the house was heavily protected so these british men just left instead of coming in she pulled a macaulay culkin i wrote that in my notes (laughs) i said she kevin McAllistered that she Kevin McAllister the British forces yeah. or as I like to call him Frankie Muniz I got them confused for an hour and a half the other day that's a fun thing to confuse it was I Malcolm? kept I kept Malcolm? talking <laughs> I just kept talking about Macaulay Culkin and how he was on Malcolm in the Middle and people were like no he was not <laughs> 
So oh, anyways. That's a treat. Uh, it was a treat for everyone because involved. Because usually <laughs> you don't mess up names no, and I faces. Don't. You're good at that. I'm really good at that. I am like a personal IMDB. Yeah, I can't do that. I was really, <laughs> really upset at myself. <laughs> the other day, I pulled a kid from CSI uh, Miami. Yes. From the movie Stick It. Remember that with Jeff Bridges, the gymnastics yes, movie? Yes, we were talking about Around the Fire yes. Pit. I was like, that's that boy from Gymnastics Stick Oh, no, is this when we were talking about the Fire Pit or when you were watching it with Casey? So this is when I was watching it with Casey. Mm. I was like, that boy has been in a movie that I know. And I had to think about it. <laughs> I and I got never. it. I could never. Anyways. Okay. <laughs> Shout out to Stick It. So <laughs> great movie. Obviously, in 1776, the colonies banded together and TJ wrote the Declaration of Independence. Um, This wasn't the first thing that happened. It was, in fact, six years before that that the Boston Massacre happened in Mm. 1770. And the first battle of the revolution was the Battle of Lexington and Concord, which had happened in like, you know, 1771 or 73, something like that. It was before the Declaration of Independence. Right. The reason that is important is that prior to the Battle of Lexington and Concord, a very wealthy man who lived in Boston named Paul Revere, I've been to his house, just (laughs) to brag a little, Um, the battle's taking place. He and several other men, 40 men, had this network of notifiers built up Mm -hmm. where they would jump on their horses and ride around Boston and surrounding areas screaming the British are coming. This is the famous ride of the revolution, but Mm -hmm. it's not the only ride. It's not the most successful ride. It's not the (laughs) farthest ride. (laughs) And it, uh, he got captured at the end of it. So Paul Revere is famous because he was a wealthy colonist in Boston, which is the heart of the revolution. But, other people did this all over the colonies Fuck. to help save battles. I like literally thought that he just like was the only one that did yeah. that. <laughs> he made it up, man. <laughs> I did too. I did too for the longest time. I saw something about her maybe two or three years ago uh-huh. on like an Instagram post. And I was like, that's interesting. Let me look into that. Yeah. Okay. So a lot of people who talk about Sybil Attempt to take fame away from Paul Revere, which I also don't think is fair um, because there's room for both of them. And it's not like it was a Christopher Columbus situation. He wasn't like a rapist. And that's why we're xing him. It's just because he was a wealthy white man and she's a young girl. We can like support both of those things. Right. <laughs> okay. So it's 1777. She's at her family home. She's 16 years old. A man on horseback comes from the nearby town of Danbury, which is in Connecticut, like right over the border. And she's Mm -hmm. in New York. Mm -hmm. Um, He comes to tell Colonel Ludington that the British are attacking and burning the city, which is an important city because they had a supply store for the north. So um, this is a relatively rural area. There's a militia of 400 men, but they're scattered in homes and farms across two to three counties around here. So Henry, as the colonel, has to stay at his farm to receive and organize the men coming in to fight. Sybil was known as a talented writer and is the oldest child. I don't know how old the oldest son was. I'm assuming he did have some sons because he had 12 children, but I just don't know birth order. Mm -hmm. So she got on her horse named Star at 9 p.m. It is pitch black. It's raining. It's windy. Mm -hmm. There are no streetlights. There are no good roads. And again, she is 16 years old. Oh, my gosh. Uh, She needs to know the way intimately. So this is 
probably not the first time she's made a solo journey like this. When I'm also thinking like how scary that would be with all of these like soldiers in the woods. Oh, get ready. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's even more important because there are some people she had to watch out for. First, there are British forces Mm -hmm. all over the country. Mm -hmm. So she has to do that. There are also two groups called the Cowboys or the Skinners. The Cowboys in New York at this time are loyalist sympathizers that would plunder any Patriot farms or riders that they came across. The Skinners were um, loyal to no one and would plunder indiscriminately. And she's by herself. Mm. She was probably lucky that it was rainy and windy. um, But it was very dangerous for her to be out there alone. Mm Mm-hmm. And she also had to know which families and farms to knock on the doors. Who were the patriots and who weren't, carefully avoiding the loyalist people and their houses. On top of this, all she had was her horse star and a stick. (laughs) And she used her stick for three reasons. One, to spur the horse to go faster. Mm -hmm. Two, to ward off people trying to plunder her Mm -hmm. like to hit them with this stick and three to rap on the windows shutters and doors as she went by the houses because it's like 2 a.m it's at some of these houses they're asleep so she rode in a large circle traveling 40 miles all through the night and to put that in perspective um paul revere went like 12 or 18 or something like that she went 40 miles all through the night and arrives back at her family's farm as the sun is coming up and she sees 400 men <gasps> that showed up to fight oh my gosh i got chills because of her oh ride my gosh. 400 <sighs> came to defend their town now they didn't save the town that was already getting burnt but it was enough force to get the british to retreat back to long island sound and the battle would later be renamed the battle of ridgefield When word of her ride reached General Washington, he personally visited her family farm to thank her for her work gathering the militia. Nine days later, on May 5th, a newspaper article came out that didn't mention her by name because women weren't allowed in the military at this time. But it mentioned how the troops were difficultly collected from around the counties in the middle of the night. This wasn't it for Sybil, though. For the remainder of the revolution, she worked on her horse as a messenger (gasps) for the whole time. What? After the war, her life went on as a normal woman. In 1784, Sybil's 23 years old, and she marries this, like, lawyer, I think, named Edmund Ogden. He had served under John Paul Jones, which was the one on the boat, like, I have not yet begun to fight. Mm -hmm. Was that him or was he the idea of only one life to live for my country? One of those famous phrases. Doesn't matter. John (laughs) Paul Jones on the boat. Historians correct me. Um, They had a son two years later that she named after her dad. They moved to a different town in New York. She opens an inn. Like, she's living her life. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing. Historians call this story into doubt. They say there are no primary reliable sources because this is just a verbal story that has been handed down. It is documented that George Washington went to that farm and it is documented in that newspaper, but we don't have any primary sources. Okay. They love to do this though. Every Every time. time. Every time, it's so frustrating. Especially a young girl does something, mm-hmm. 
Like, it's like uh, the woman who started the first university. People were like, mm, but they didn't really happen. It's like, happen? well, we have her fucking diploma. Right. So uh, <laughs> I think so. <laughs> I think it did. Like, it's so. Yeah. But it's like, it reminds me of like how they like, you know, can't believe that like ancient civilizations, you know, created like pyramids and whatever right. it's like oh must have been aliens must have been aliens like, no. nobody was smart enough to do that <laughs> it's like no like people can do this like lots of men train he was a farmer he trained his daughter to work on a horse at a farm yeah like obviously she knew what she was doing yeah so the problem is her family didn't start publicly telling the story until decades later but she had 11 brothers and sisters who all got married and had kids so yeah. they were all telling this story at every family gathering yeah. like remember when aunt sybil mm-hmm. like rode through the night for 40 yeah. miles so eventually there's all these kids and grandkids telling this story mm-hmm. in 2022 smithsonian magazine wrote that the earliest known record of Sybil is from like way back in 1854. This is the first time somebody wrote about it. And one of Henry's grandkids, so one of her nephews, sought to write about his aunt to get her recognized as a war hero. Mm -hmm. Then she was mentioned in um, a book about New York in 1880. And then somebody wrote a book about her dad. And this story was mentioned again in 1907. But all of these are secondary sources. There's no primary. And also because this was verbally handed down, the accounts differ, which makes it called into question. Was she riding on a saddle? Was she riding bareback? Was it (laughs) raining? What's the exact number of miles? What towns did she stop in? Because, you know, when you're telling a story about your grandma, you don't have the exact details. You just kind of tell the story. Yeah. And actually, I heard something recently that if the story kind of differs like that, it actually means it's more likely true because everybody puts their own spin on Mm -hmm. things, you know, and it's like, you might say that she stopped in, you know, Dayton or whatever, Mm -hmm. because that's the town that like your family lived in. And like, so it's like, you know what I'm saying? It's like, you have a Sybil came through our town when we were, right. Or like, Oh, I know someone who lived there. So like, that's the name that's, you know what I'm saying? But like, that usually means it's actually more likely to be true because human memory is faulty, but it doesn't mean that it didn't happen. Right. And the another problem that people call into question is that while Sybil was alive, she did try to get a military pension for her husband in 1838 for his time in the military, but none of the paperwork mentions her trying to get a military pension. Why would she? Right. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. She's not even allowed to be mentioned in the newspaper. (laughs) I feel like Harriet Tubman was the first woman to get like a military pension, right? And that's like the Civil War. Yeah. And then it's like, I think like Abigail Adams tried to fight to get pensions for the widows of like people running the country. They're not just going to give a pension to a 16 year old girl who rode a horse. I mean, we talked about that with um, Agent... uh, uh, seven seven oh seven whatever it was seven eleven is washington like 352 or something yeah. like that <laughs> um but you know like there was like the woman who they kind of thought was her mm-hmm. who then like i think it was george washington tried to get her military pension because like they think that's what she did you know right. she like saved a bunch of people's lives and like it just like wasn't working like so then he had to like make some weird go around right. so like why would if George she... can't do it, right? <laughs> like, there's no way. And also, it's like a woman at that time, especially like married to like, it seems like a wealthy guy, like a lawyer. Like, 
that's not her place right you know and growing up in that society like she would know her place very well yeah she's like i run this in i have my husband i have my son like i'm not gonna try to get a pension i'm not she wasn't trying to make waves no she just did what she could for the revolution yeah so it gets even worse because some even say that they mark trails and put up historic signs because it's a rural town trying to bring in tourism like they're making up the path just to get people to come through (laughs) But yeah, come to Paul Revere's house and only remember him. It's yeah. like, what? And also some historians say that they don't mind the story, but they hate that they, like a lot of YouTube videos and things about it never bring up that it's in doubt. They say right. it like it's fact, which I get. Like mm-hmm. if you want to say, hey, there's still questions about this, like we're doing, don't get mad yeah. at us. <laughs> hey, there's still questions about this. Like you should, yes, say mm-hmm. that in your recollection. Mm-hmm. But others say that even if it isn't entirely true, Quote, Sybil's ride embrace, embraces the mythical meaning and values expressed in the country's founding. Mm-hmm. As an individual, she represents America's persistent need to find and create heroes who embody prevalent attitudes and beliefs. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know what? So what if it's not true? It's, a, it's about she's a metaphor for the common person. Right. Even the DAR said it's a great story, but there's no way to tell if it's true. Which the DAR, that's your girl. Yeah. She's a literal daughter of the revolution. Yeah. Now they have backtracked on that recently and they've put up plaques and stuff about her mm-hmm. and they are trying to like be supportive of the idea that this could be true. Yeah. Others say the story of a lone teenage girl writing for freedom is simply too good not to believe. Like yeah. you want to believe it. So it doesn't matter. But what we do know is that Sybil lived a pretty long life for that time period and that this story was passed down verbally amongst her entire family members and all of these colonies and like surrounding areas in New York. And I don't believe that people would continue to tell a story like that about their aunt and their grandma and their neighbor if it wasn't true. Like it's fun to be like, oh my gosh, the girl's farm next door is the girl who got all 400 of those men together. Mm -hmm. Um, it's kind of like, so, um, obviously if people have listened to the show, they know I'm not like a huge believer, but I think the Bible is like an incredible book. And in the story where Jesus raises from the dead, they write that two women mm-hmm. were the first people to see him. And it's just like, to me, that means they must've seen something yeah. because nobody's going to put that on women if it wasn't women who said something. Yep. So it's just really interesting to me when things like that happen historically. So. She died February 26, 1839, at the age of 77. They misspelled her name on her gravestone. <laughs> her home, um, her hometown of Fredericksburg, New York, is now today called Ludingtonville, New York. Oh, the whole town that. is renamed. There is a statue of her riding a horse, waving her stick in the air. In 1976, she became the 35th American woman to be put on a postage stamp. Mm -hmm. It was the bicentennial of our country. And on the back of the stamp, it says, young heroine. On the dark night of April 26, 1777, 16-year-old Sybil Ludington rode her horse Star alone through the Connecticut, New York countryside, rallying her father's militia to repel a raid by the British. Mm. Markers now exist along the entire 40-mile route that you can hike through, and since 1979, there's been a 50K foot race every year that runs the trail and ends at her statue. 
She, to me and many others, has become a symbol of the common person Mm -hmm. of the revolution. We hear so much about the founding fathers who were amazing men with huge brains and like understood philosophy and government and economics. But the average person in America was like Sybil, just trying to make sure your town didn't get burned down. And those are the people who fought the war yeah you know the brains yes you were there you were the generals but you were in the meeting rooms while everybody else was dying like on the battlefield um so that is the story of sybil Ludington. i love her she's just a 16 year old chica who like grew up got married but she did this one incredible thing and not one because she was a messenger through the whole revolution but she served her purpose in her rural town of new york i love it (laughs) <laughs> Isn't she a cutie? Yeah, she is. <laughs> so that's all she wrote. All right. Well, let's get into another team. I know. <laughs> I'll be right back. Like I'm about to have like a slimer <laughs> high C. Do you remember those? Yes. Like the little juice box. This is so vibrant. It's so green. Much greener than I could have ever anticipated. <laughs> I really like it. I really like it. So this green, green cocktail is called How Dare You. <laughs> Good. It is coconut rum, creme de menthe, simple syrup, and lime juice blended together with ice and garnished with mint. Cheers. Wow. I really like it. I like it too. The The mint flavor is not overpowering, which I assumed it was going to be. Mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. think the lime kind of cuts it a bit. Yeah. That's why I was really happy because I almost forgot the lime juice. Mm. I put it at the very end. But yeah, I think it's uh this is delicious. Yeah. And it's funny cuz like coconut rum, there's a good bit in there and usually that comes through really strong too and that's like very in the background. Yeah, but I I think it softens it mm-hmm. too. Um well, I really like it. It doesn't taste as green as it looks. Mm-mm. But well, it was funny cuz I was expecting it to be like kind of like a soft like maybe like a minty mm. white color. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, I guess that's why I like because I was looking at recipes for, like, frozen mojito kind of drinks. They'll have, like, cream and stuff in them. Well, it, they usually just, like, do, like, a mint simple syrup. Okay. And I was like, that makes more sense now that I see the end result. <laughs> uh, but Love still it. delicious. Yeah, it's great. It's great. I actually really like it. This is as green as Greta wants the planet to be. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so what do you know about Greta Thunberg? So she is an activist, Mm -hmm. a child activist. She makes speeches on behalf of the earth. Um, I think in general, Scandinavia, like Iceland, Norway, Sweden, like that area, Finland, are kind of like leaders in like cleaning up the earth. Sustainability. Yeah, sustainable energy and housing and jobs, which is so cool. Um, I've... There's some people... It's weird because I kind of conflate the way people treated her to the way they treated those kids protesting about school shootings in Florida. Like there was a little bit of pushback of like a what do you know yeah. type uh, idea. But I think she's made speeches on like a pretty big stage like the UN. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so yeah, I just, that's all I know about her. I don't know a lot about her life. Just that, um, I did do a picture of her with the girls mm-hmm. for one of the women's history month posts. And it's one of my favorite ones of Liza. Liza has really good face energy. Mm-hmm. So anytime it's a close up picture, I think she does a really good job. Mm-hmm. Um, so casting call for my kids (laughs) okay so tell me her story and i'm sure this one and you know when we're 10 years into this podcast we'll need to like recap yeah yeah. because she's a baby Mm -hmm. so um my sources are the uh there was a youtube video from the brute channel that did like a really informative like timeline video of her that i really appreciated uh wikipedia obviously and then there's a hulu documentary about her called i am greta Mm. which was fascinating because i mean they must have started filming they started filming her like right at the beginning so like you see everything from her and her parents perspective which is really interesting that's cool. That's how the early documentaries are about Malala. Mm-hmm. It's like people knew. People knew. People knew. Yeah. You were up and coming. <sighs> so, all right. Let's. Oh, and also just like another like thing. Like she's obviously very current. So there's not like everything on her is very partisan right now. Mm-hmm. You know, like people either really fucking love her or really fucking hate her. Right. So I just want to give that, you know, caveat. <laughs> okay. Greta Thunberg was born on January 3rd, 2003 in Stockholm, Sweden. Her mother, Malena, is an opera singer who even got to represent Sweden in the 2009 Eurovision Song Contest, which is a huge deal. Whoa, like so a talented opera singer. Yeah, she is an internationally famous opera singer. Like she jet-setting around the world. Like she is a very successful singer oh um her father svant 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 good luck Thunberg, names. <laughs> is also an actor and she has a sister named beta who is a singer like her mother and we know also that uh, greta's grandfather olaf Thunberg, was a swedish actor and director who was the voice of like basically like the winnie the pooh of sweden <laughs> So Greta was born into a family of performers, but she just so happened to take after another family member, Svant Arhenius, who is known as one of the first climate change scientists. So it's not clear how exactly they are related, especially since like everything that said that they're related said distant relatives. So (laughs) I'm assuming it's like a Wyatt Earp situation. Like I'm related to Wyatt Earp, but like pretty distantly. (laughs) And Katie's not lying about that. And that's I'm really not, not lying. That's not metaphorical. No. <laughs> it came up on Jake's Ancestry.com or whatever I it know, is. I know. We're part of the Earp family. Exactly. I'm married, married into the Earps <laughs> of the Wild West. Um, so, yeah. So they're distantly related. I couldn't find out exactly how close they were. Um, but Arrhenius was a Nobel Prize winning chemist in the late 1800s and early 1900s. And he was the first person to use the principles of physical chemistry to estimate the extent to which increases in atmospheric carbon dioxide are responsible for the Earth's increasing surface temperature. So greenhouse gases. He (laughs) discovered greenhouse gases in 1896. Damn. What have we been doing all along? That's what Greta wants to know. (laughs) And uh, over... Asking the hard questions. Over a hundred years later in a primary school in Sweden 
eight-year-old Greta first learned about what the fuck her distant relative was talking about. She said that she learned about climate change from a video in school. And the teacher went on to say, you know, like, oh, this is why it's important to turn off the lights when you aren't using them, recycle paper, like recycle cans, all that jazz, you know. And for the rest of the kids, it was a simple lecture on the benefits of going green, as we like to say. But for Greta, this information was devastating. (laughs) The idea that human action could literally change the Earth's climate blew her mind And she just thought to herself, she goes, if this is true and we are headed for like a mass extinction due to humans' actions, she goes, why are we talking about literally anything else? (laughs) She just couldn't get it. She was like, if burning fossil fuels threatens our very existence, we should be talking about it all the time. It should be the focus on every newspaper headline and television program. But she started to notice that it just wasn't. She goes, yeah. people aren't actually talking about it much at all. No, we have like 40 years of coal left or some shit. Yeah, it's, it's like scary. so close. And she just couldn't wrap her head around it. And soon this Armageddon that was very likely happening in her lifetime started to occupy all of her thoughts. Greta became extremely depressed, and by the time she was 11 years old, she stopped talking, she stopped eating, and lost 22 pounds in two months. As an 11-year-old, how do you have 22 pounds to lose? You don't. That's dangerous. (laughs) It's really dangerous. So her parents took her to the doctors because they're so concerned about her health, and they did find out that Greta has autism, uh, which she often refers to as Asperger's syndrome, but I know like we don't use that term anymore. We did back Um, then though. But we did. Uh, That's like, I think a relatively new thing. Um, So, you know, I'm just going to continue using the term autism or she like will refer to Mm -hmm. sometimes it's like on the spectrum. Um, But she also had OCD and selective mutism. Her father said that for about three years, she would talk to her immediate family and that was it. She was nearly constantly silent she says that for her this diagnosis meant that it made sense as to why she saw the world in black and white and she when she also got her selective mutism diagnosis she was like that makes sense because i only speak when it's necessary and to her the issue of climate change is black and white the emissions are the problem we need to stop them And she said, if I'm going to speak, climate change is what I'm going to speak about because it is necessary to talk as much as I can and right now. So Greta started reading all the books and articles she could find about climate change. She just started to educate herself as much as possible. And then she started speaking first to her family. Uh, she went to her parents and she asked if they could buy an electric car. She encouraged the entire family to go vegan. And then she went to her mom and she goes, you need to stop flying. Which kind of sucked for her mom because this meant she had to give up her career. And I mean, she's an international opera singer. If she can't fly, she can't work. And this is difficult for everyone. Uh, Apparently the family is a little reluctant to make these changes and Greta is growing frustrated because she keeps printing off these graphs and charts and she's showing them and they were just having a hard time like, you know, 
adjusting to this zero emissions lifestyle because it's not how people live comfortably. Like it is uncomfortable to live that kind of lifestyle. It is. And usually I feel like teenage kids who have those strong beliefs are usually like brought up by parents that are like, right. We compost. Yeah, like, exactly. Really? Yeah. Oh, like, but I, I mean, her mom at the beginning, when you said her mom was jet setting, I was like, uh Oh, uh-huh. <laughs> this is going to be a problem. Yes. And it also like didn't help things. Cause like they have this teenager in the house who's like on this mission and like, she keeps telling her parents, she goes, you're stealing my future. <laughs> you know, Which, I mean, you have quintessential preteen living in your house right now, you know? So I know, you know what that feels like when like they are on something and like get really into it, you know, like, and so, but the the difference with this is that it just, it wasn't a fad. It wasn't a short-term obsession. This was not going away. And Greta's health was suffering because of it. So her mom said, so we made the changes. We went vegan. We bought an electric car. She goes, I stopped my job. I, which I loved, you know, but if it meant helping my daughter survive and get better then like I was willing to do that, you know? Um, because she said, she goes, every change we made lightened her mood and made her happier. So we just kept doing it. And when a reporter asked Greta, if she felt guilty about ending her mother's career, she said, you know, it was her choice. I didn't make her do anything. I just provided her with the information to base her decision on, which like, I don't, uh, okay. okay. Like, <laughs> I do, yeah. I mean, I'm, like, I'm a big Greta Thunberg fan. So like, yeah, this is not meant to bash her, but like, I don't, she did it for her daughter. Right. You know, mm-hmm. like, yes, you provided her with the information, but also like you lost all the, like you, you weren't eating. Right. And you weren't taught, like she was doing it to like save your life. And right. like, also like, yes, I'm sure she was like, it's wonderful to save the planet, but like, <laughs> <laughs> but like, I like making money and singing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so then Greta started to speak to more people. In May 2018, she won a climate change essay competition held by Swedish newspaper Svenska Dagbladet. Dagbladet. Dag. A Swedish Ladet. newspaper. <laughs> a Swedish newspaper. And in the essay, she wrote, "I want to feel safe. How can I feel safe when I know that we are in the greatest crisis in human history?" And her essay really struck a chord with people. And after it was published, she was contacted by a man named Bo Thorin, who led a climate activist group called Fossil Free Dasland. So she attends a few of their meetings, and at one of them, Thorin suggested that school children could go on strike for climate change. The world had just witnessed the students from Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High protest for gun violence. I can't believe you said that, that earlier. That is so funny. Her protests were directly inspired by that. Okay. No wonder I conflate them in my head. Yeah, because okay. that happened in February of 2018, and here right. they are in May, like, seeing the aftermath of all that, and they're like, so why not for climate change? Obviously, kids have something to say. Right. And now with social media... <laughs> They can say it and get the world's attention. So this idea strikes a chord with Greta. So she's like, all right, like I'm going to try and get other people involved in this. So she tries to persuade other young people to, you know, potentially strike with her. But she said no one was interested. So because she's just like 
this weird girl at school that like, like what are you talking about right. you know like Greta was not a popular gift. Right. Of school. course. And like, she's going to be like, you shouldn't eat that at lunch. Ex- yeah. And it's like, okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thanks for your opinion. <laughs> so she decided that she was going to go ahead with the strike by herself. On August 20th, 2018, after Sweden had just experienced a brutal heat wave, Greta decided to stop going to school. Her father, again, was a little nervous about all this, but... He was like, you know, but it gave Greta purpose and it was helping with her depression and, you know, her just her getting better. So he let her quit school and Greta began her strike. But she wasn't just sitting at home. She protested by sitting outside of the Riksdag or the Swedish parliament every day for three weeks during school hours with the sign Skolstrekt for Klimate, School Strike for Climate. Her demands were that the Swedish government reduce carbon emissions in accordance with the Paris Agreement. So she's like, I'm just asking for you to literally hold up your end of the bargain that you've already made. You signed this deal. You signed it, so fucking do it. It's the same with, like, the Kyoto Accords. Like, people are still not following that shit, and it was signed in, like, the year 2000 or something. Ridiculous. Um, And she also wanted to bring attention, uh, because Sweden was in the midst of an election. So she was like, I want climate change to be at the forefront of the conversation during this election Mm. so she dedicated herself to striking from school until the swedish election was over greta said her teachers were divided in their views about her missing class but she said as people they thought what i was doing was good but as teachers they said i should stop (laughs) (laughs) i mean you you could say that about a lot of things for kids so the first day it was just her sitting on the ground i mean there's videos of it with her little sign and people are stopping and they're asking her what she's doing and they're scolding her they're like we should be in school you know and like (laughs) um and she is alone but slowly you know people start talking to her and then they start to sit down and then news starts to spread on social media around sweden and other climate activists in the area like, I'll go sit with her. So then they come and they sit with her outside of the parliament. And in a little over a week, there are a lot of people sitting outside the parliament. And <laughs> it's reached international papers, like, that this thing is going on. Then she took it even further. On September 16th, 2018, she called for all school children around the world to join her strike every Friday, saying that they needed to show the older generation quote what they have done to us (laughs) she said we need to hold them accountable for the mess that they have left for us their children like this isn't fair because and she makes a good point and that's why she wanted to activate the youth because she goes they'll be dead by the time that we're out of fossil fuels and out of coal and like we're in famines like she's like they won't have to deal with it but we will and like that is really the rightful place of anger for her is that like they could do something and they're choosing not to because they know that they won't have to deal with it. Mm. Which is true. So it didn't take long for Greta to go viral on social media and her campaign started to grow with the hashtag Fridays for future pictures of the 15 year old girl with pigtails were suddenly everywhere. And it seemed to really strike a chord with people. And again, what she's saying is like, that makes sense to people. And on October 22nd, 2018, just 
I mean, a couple months after she started this whole thing, she spoke to a crowd of 10,000 people in Helsinki saying, we won't save the world by playing by the rules because the rules have to be changed. Within a few months, tens of thousands of students were striking on Fridays, every Friday, in around 270 cities. And again, they're not just not going to school and sitting at home, but they are marching in the streets of their towns. Thousands of children and teenagers getting angry about the idea that they might not have a future to look forward to. And these videos of these demonstrations are so moving because the kids are holding signs that say her name and they're talking about how inspired they are by her. One girl says, this is for her. This is because of her. Oh. It's amazing. Then on- I love seeing <sighs> angry teenagers. Yeah. I think like, when kids are motivated, it's why we cried during the Girl Scout episode. Yeah. You know, like the little kid Paul Bears. And that's why we get swept up in stories like Newsies because mm-hmm. it's kids. And you're like, God, they should not have to deal with this. <laughs> right. My God. Like, why are we leaving it to the children to say something? And that's what the root of her story is about, you yeah. know? I also get happy, though, like, when young people are angry. Like, oh, I remember yeah. when we did the Gloria Steinem episode, um, somebody, like, interviewed her, and they were like, what are you, are you, like, frustrated that the young girls are just now getting angry? And she's like, no, be angry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I want you mad. There no. are adults that are mad. It's better that you're mad. Let's right. keep it going. Exactly. <laughs> Take the pedestal. Your turn. <laughs> So then on December 3rd, 2018, she took her calls all the way to the UN, speaking with the Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, at the climate conference in Poland. And she talked about how all these countries that are here came together and signed the Paris Climate Agreement, and still nothing has been done. Right. And this speech to the UN goes viral. I mean... There are news anchors talking about how a 15-year-old just scolded the world's leaders. (laughs) She also did a TED Talk in 2018, which got a lot of attention. And her movement just kept growing. Her frankness and simplicity was jarring to people. She mentions in her TED Talk that people would tell her, like, you should be in school so you can grow up to be a climate scientist and you can solve the problem. To which she would respond... Number one, we don't have time. And number two, we already have climate scientists who have come up with the solutions. We just have to wake up and change. Like, she's like, people have already done the work. She's like, my great, great uncle is doing the work in 1896. Like, this is not a new thing. But it got so politicized. Yes. Like, it's all like party based. At least in the US, it's very party based when you think about like, because Al Gore was talking about it Mm -hmm. and people were like, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Mm hmm. I mean, at this UN conference in Poland, she's sitting next to the secretary general and she gets straight to the point. You know, she says, I'm not even going to ask you to do anything because I know you won't. So she goes, I'm using this platform to speak directly to the people of the world and tell them we need to change. Wow. She says, our leaders are behaving like children. So it's up to us. (laughs) I mean, she's just is saying this straight to the adults, which I love. Like, she, they're inviting her there so that she can fucking yell at them and tell them <laughs> they're being children. Somebody's got to do it, though. Somebody <laughs> does. And it's Greta. 
So in 2019, she decided to take a full year off from school to keep talking about climate change in whatever venues that would have her. So she goes all over Europe going to rallies and protests. Like she's going to all these countries that are hosting strikes on Fridays and they're hosting these rallies every Friday that she started. And then she, they, she comes and she's like a celebrity. It's how's so she cool. getting there. We'll talk about it. <laughs> okay. So she even meets the president of France, Emmanuel Macron. She meets Arnold Schwarzenegger. He comes to Europe to meet her and she meets the Pope because he wants to meet her. And it's cool. But then you're watching it in the documentary and they all just keep saying the same thing. they go, keep doing what you're doing. You're doing great. And people are chanting, go Greta, save the planet. I mean, they're shouting this in Italy while she's shaking hands with the Pope. And she starts to get frustrated because she's like, this is my whole point. It shouldn't be up to just me. It's not, yes, Greta, keep doing what you're doing, but we'll all stay the same. She's like, that's not what I'm trying to say. She's like, it, it's up to all of us. And then she gets frustrated because she's like, I feel like I'm going to all these events and talking to people who aren't really listening to me. She's like, it kind of seems like they're having me at these events and then acting like just my presence at this conference is enough to solve the climate issue. She goes, they're not listening to what I'm saying. They're not doing the work. She goes, they're having me there and that's it. They're getting swept up in... It's almost like virtue signaling. That's exactly... They're using yes. her to virtue signal that they care about the environment, but then aren't willing to make the change that goes along with it, which, I mean, it takes policy. Mm-hmm. You have to force people to recycle. Like, we used to have two trash days a week in Maryland. We don't anymore. Mm-hmm. We have one trash day and one recycling day. Yeah. Like, schools in Maryland get bonuses if they're a green school, and mm-hmm. you have to follow a certain set of, like list of things to do yeah and it's like you have to force people but policy doesn't come overnight so no people aren't willing to do that yeah it's sad and, and she just said and like and this kind of hit me she goes i feel like we're all role-playing that we're doing something like oh, she's yeah. like i feel like we're playing a game and oh, yeah, she was I'm like doing and nothing. i'm not playing a game <laughs> <laughs> but she keeps going because i mean what else is she going to do and of course like the conversation comes up like well how are you getting to all these places and of course, since she is against producing any more climate emissions, she does have to be very conscious about how she travels. And when it's just around Europe, her dad could drive her around in their electric car, or they would take trains or boats, like or buses, any type Commuter of commuter like, travel. Yeah, any type of environmentally friendly mass transit that they could. You know, anything that wasn't like straightforward gas guzzling. Right. <laughs> um, but in August 2019, she was invited to New York to speak to the U.N. in their headquarters. So she decides that she is not going to let her commitment to carbon-free traveling or carbon-lower, whatever, traveling, um, you know, stop her. So she makes a plan to get to New York via a sailboat, but not just any sailboat. She was going to sail across the Atlantic Ocean from Plymouth, England to New York in a 60-foot racing yacht called the Militia 2, which was equipped with solar panels and underwater turbines. This is a zero emission, this is a or carbon neutral boat. So 
This produces its own energy. I don't know how. I guess the turbines and the solar panels. Um, and it's called a yacht, but it is not what you're picturing. <laughs> this thing looks like a catamaran. <laughs> it oh, is my God. tiny and lightweight. Like someone described it. They're like, yeah, this thing is really light. So it kind of just like bangs on the surface of the ocean like a drum. And the Atlantic Ocean is very rough. Second <laughs> biggest one I hear. Cold. <laughs> <laughs> this was a very dangerous journey that was not comfortable. I mean, they videotaped this whole thing and it was making me seasick and cold. And since the ship had to be lightweight, like the whole thing is kind of open. So it just looked like they were cold and wet the entire trip. And then they had to do it back. Mm-hmm. So she's on the boat and she's trying to do like these diaries and whatever. And they're filming her. And she just starts breaking down about this responsibility she feels. And she is like, it's too much for me. And like, you can just feel that pain of like, how did I end up on a fucking raft in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean? <laughs> like, this is crazy. And when people ask her, like, oh my gosh, just fly. It's so much easier. She goes, yeah, it is easier. But the point of this is that, like, it's not easy to do this. And she's like, I know that it's not easy. She goes, and that's why, like, she also is like, that's why I focus my talks on, like, the wealthier countries because they can make up easier ways. Yeah. She goes, we can do this. She goes, developing countries like you know she talks about like she's like india and nigeria she goes i am not putting this on them she goes i'm putting it on sweden one of the wealthiest countries in the world to like fucking do some do the things that they have promised to do right you know and this is her whole point that like it's not going to be easy it's not going to be comfortable but if the wealthier countries put the resources into it that they can we can make carbon neutral traveling easier and more accessible and widely available like that's like her whole fucking point. and it will be cheaper eventually yes exactly <laughs> so this trip took a total of 15 days no thank you half a month on this catamaran and on september 18th she addressed the u.s house select committee on the climate crisis and then on september 23rd she addressed the u.n at the climate action summit and to put this in a bit of a perspective her first protest was in August of 2019. I mean, 2018. So this is what one an year. impact she's had in one oh year. She went from sitting in front of the Swedish parliament to speaking at the UN in New York. That's crazy. And this is when she gives her famous how dare you speech. And she tells them that they've stolen her dreams and her childhood. And she says, I should be in school on the other side of the ocean. But instead, I'm talking to you here because of your empty promises and because you still refuse to put the climate over your greed and your desire for money. Like, she is just so, like, frank about it. You know, she doesn't really give, like, flowery speeches. <laughs> like, she's just really to the point that's that autism coming through yeah it really is and and she talks about that all the time which like we'll get to but you know she's like i see things in black and white so i speak in that very like same like black and white like frank manner of like this is what you need to do or like we are going to die she's like and she says it she goes we're going towards a mass extinction and it's so funny because her dad is there and he's like trying to help her write her speech she goes ah oh, mass extinction extinction he goes 
that's a little severe, don't you think? Like, it's a little harsh. And she goes, Dad, shut up. (laughs) (laughs) And this poor man is so tired. He's been driving around Europe in an electric car eating beans and pasta. He's been on a boat for a year. (laughs) That poor man. I was like, I think that man does not want to see another can of beans in his life because that's all they're eating is that man and beans. needs a nobel peace prize <laughs> love him and you can tell he's so tired and he's concerned about his daughter's well-being and like there are some points where like they're at these marches and he goes greta you have to eat and she goes i don't want to eat and he goes oh my god eat something like <laughs> get your beans oh, like <laughs> kids are terrible so anyways uh <laughs> she gives this speech it is a swift brutal attack on the selfishness of the people who run our world and she said it plainly she goes and if you fail we will never forgive you and you're like this is this will be your legacy that you failed us when you knew better which like it's true um (laughs) that same month Over 7 million people around the world protested for climate change. These were numbers that were beyond what anybody thought. I mean, we covered Julia Butterfly Hill a while ago. People thought she was insane. So that's where climate kind of activism was. Like, what, like 10, 15 years before? Like one nut in a tree? And here we have 7 million people in a month protesting around the world for climate change. So it was clear that Greta was having some kind of effect. And of course, when you're in the public eye and you are having an effect on people, uh, that comes with a lot of criticism. And unfortunately, children are not immune from this. (laughs) Greta had been bullied when she was younger in school, always feeling different. But this was bullying on a different level. It was a political, global kind of bullying. An anchor on Fox News said that if climate change was real, then the movement would be led by a scientist rather than a mentally ill Swedish child. Scientists have been trying to lead this Uh for decades. Uh (laughs) I can't believe that Mm -hmm. that was said on actual television. And like, so some of her quotes, like I'm kind of paraphrasing what she said, that was a direct quote. Uh... Some called her the Asperger's darling of the far left who has been fooled by their lies. <gasps> Pierce Brosnan. Wait, that's his name, right? The guy from England? No, Pier- Pierce Brosnan. Pierce Brosnan. Pierce Morgan. I was like, my God. Pierce Brosnan is 007. My God. <laughs> Not James Bond. <laughs> Who loves his wife so much and I think is delightful. And they've been together forever. I hope I'm not also speaking in turn of Pierce Brosnan. I don't know what he's up to. Yeah, we don't. I don't know. This he's is seen, him and his Morgan. wife seem to have a great time. Pierce Morgan is is insane. the British asshole. He's a dick. <laughs> Woo! Glad I said that. I realized I typed it and I didn't realize it until I said it. I was like, that's not the right person. <laughs> Pierce Morgan <laughs> calls her annoying and hysterical. Trump at one of his rallies had an entire auditory of, of, of people boo at her. The conservative media called her a brat and a, this is another one of my favorite quotes, a virtue signaling turd. And they told her to grow up and shut up. An energy company in Canada called Excite Energy passed out stickers, which portrayed a man 
raping a young girl with braids and the name Greta on her lower back. What the fuck? Come on, Canada. They like, and the company was like, no, that wasn't us. And it's like, your name, your company name is on the sticker. They put their company name on the sticker. And they're like, okay, yeah, maybe that was a mistake. Like, what the hell? That is awful. Yo, polar bears like, are moving into your towns because yeah. they got nowhere to live. I know. Canada, calm down. God, that really made me upset. Um, she starts to get death threats on a daily basis, not just online, but handwritten letters sent to her home which like her poor mother is like there with greta's younger sister like alone getting these death threats and like she's like great i'm being threatened my daughter's on a yacht in the middle of the atlantic ocean like (laughs) what is going on like her parents are so afraid and while she's on this boat a British businessman and politician even sent out a hopeful tweet saying, well, freak yachting accidents do happen in August, basically saying that he hoped that her boat would sink and this 16-year-old girl would drown. I hate the world. I know. <laughs> it's terrible. That's terrible. And her parents, like I said earlier, they're starting to get scared. They're worried about her traveling. Her dad takes a class on what to do if Greta is shot and needs to get first aid for a bullet wound, like there's footage of him in this class and he, again, looks so tired <laughs> and they're like, so you want to put like pressure on the bullet wound immediately. And he goes, okay. Like, <laughs> I, it just, it sucks. But Greta kept going. I mean, like the sailing ship trip, she acknowledges that this is difficult and if it wasn't difficult, more people would be doing it. But she's like, but they're not. And she's like, I feel a responsibility to the world and to future generations because for some reason she goes, I can do it. I can do, deal with these assholes in the media. And I do have supportive parents who take me around the world and left their careers for me. You know, like she's like, I can, so I will. In 2019, Time Magazine named her Person of the Year, making her the youngest person ever to receive that honor. And she was nominated for a Nobel Prize, put on Forbes' list of the 100 most influential women, and given the Rachel Carson Award. We just covered her last season. She has won countless other awards, been on a gazillion lists of influential people. She's even had species named after her. So, like, I'm just not gonna get into all that and now she's on her story on the yeah. box <laughs> the greatest honor of all <laughs> but i have to agree with greta that it's all still seeming like a bit empty you know the world is still not close to reaching the promises made from the paris climate agreement and rather than emissions going down they're still slowly growing up it's the growth has slowed a little bit but they're still going up greta still speaks on climate change but climate change but now she says she's actually a little bit more careful about what she says in her speeches she said that initially she thought that in order to get people to listen she needed to speak with emotion and use language like our house is on fire and i want you to panic and how dare you but then she realized she goes after i did the speech people would focus on those little bites And they wouldn't focus on the science behind it or, like, what I was actually asking them to do. Mm -hmm. So she speaks a little plainer now. But 
Those strong words did have some sort of effect. In fact, it's called the Greta effect. We can't deny that more people are definitely talking about climate change now. And even though it's not nearly enough, I mean, things are happening. Leaders are now taking at least a little more concrete action. More money has been added to climate mitigation budgets. Public concern about the environment has soared to record levels in the UK. And green parties are slowly but surely climbing in the polls. In 2019, Sweden reported a 4% drop in domestic air travel for 2019 and an 8% increase in railroad use. And that was before the pandemic. Right. And when people were asked about it, they specifically cited climate change. They said, I actually thought about how much I was flying and like, I could just take a train. Right. Like that's so much more environmentally friendly and it's cheaper and it's just better all around. The Greta effect has been described as piercing the bubble of denial. According to a 2021 study, those who are more familiar with Greta Thunberg have higher intentions of taking collective actions to reduce global warming, whether it's tiny steps, you know, like putting out your recycling every Thursday or reusable grocery bags. Yeah. Reusable grocery bags. Like people who are familiar with her have now had this greater conscience of like, Oh yeah, I could do some small things that like are better, you know? Um, and she has also had a big impact over the years on the autism spectrum community. She calls her autism her superpower, and often in her speeches, she makes the comment that she goes, I think in many ways that we autistic are the normal ones, and the rest of the people are pretty strange, (laughs) (laughs) which makes people with autistic children or, you know, people who are on the spectrum themselves, like, I think it's nice because, like, there's one point in an interview where somebody goes, well, you suffer from autism. She goes, no, no. She goes, I don't suffer from it she goes i have it but i'm not suffering like right. why do you always put it in that negative context right. you know and like i think she's been kind of this like beacon of positivity in the movement that we weren't seeing for a very long time right um so during the pandemic greta has obviously moved uh her activism more online but she is still going strong with keeping the climate and autism awareness at the forefront of the conversation She is currently 19 years old and still striking for the climate on Fridays. She is currently in week 208 of her Fridays for Future protests, holding up her black and white sign that says school strike for climate. You can see every Friday she posts it on Instagram, and I hope she never stops. And that's Greta. That's amazing. (laughs) Greta, what a cool story. I know. I love her. And I I know that, like, people even have a lot of uh, opinions about, like, her autism uh, advocacy and all that stuff. You know, I'm not super breached into the world, so I don't know. Like, I think some people don't like her because of it. I don't know. But, you know... I think that at least she is starting a lot of fucking conversations. She's making people talk. Yeah, she is. Oh, <laughs> man. Okay, are we going to read these horoscopes or let's sing first? Yes. So okay. let's sing and then we'll read horoscopes. Okay. All right. Now we're going to talk about the horoscopes and these two people in conversation together in a little segment we like to call Just the Two of Us. Okay. All right. <laughs> so... Sybil Luddington, like I said, was born April 5th, 1761. She's an Aries. And it says, 
Um, this person has a burning desire to get started off and make things happen. Warmth with family, home, and community means a great deal to them. You are an excellent caretaker and provider and enjoy helping others, especially when family and friends and community come into play. Oh, my gosh. That's so spot on. I couldn't <laughs> believe that. Wow. That is really spot on. Yeah. Oldest of 12. Yeah. Riding around town to save everybody. Could, like from the 1700s. Yeah. Spot on. Yeah. That's amazing. Okay. So Greta is a Capricorn and her horoscope says you could find that you are appreciated or valued for your feelings or your ability to act and get things done. Someone understands how you feel and is sympathetic today. <laughs> I kind of, I, I do think it kind of fits a little bit because it's like someone out there is appreciating what you're doing, but not, like, but not everybody. everybody. You have the ability <laughs> to get things done, but not yeah. everybody appreciates it. Yeah. I actually feel like that's also very special. <laughs> very interesting. Okay. So let's compare these girls. They have something to say. They do have something to say. And I think it's even more specific. They are trying to warn people about an imminent crisis. Right. <laughs> that, like, they can see how bad it is and how close it is. But, like, other people might not know. And, you know, I feel like Sybil is going through that town. And she is like, get out if you can. Like, this is the warning. Come and help. And Greta's doing the same thing of, like, help if you can, <laughs> like, because this is happening whether you like it or not. Like, whether you like it or not, climate change is happening, and whether you like it or not, the British are fucking coming. Right. <laughs> it's very interesting because it's different periods in history, right? Uh -huh. We've got the brink of the 1800s. This is the start of every country deciding democracy might be the way to go. Yeah. We got to get rid of the... And, I mean... Post this and prior to the U.S. Revolution, countries, monarchies are falling around the world. And I think that Greta is doing the same thing. She is saying, like, we need to make aware in our government situations mm -hmm. that we need to break down this pre-existing structure yeah. that is not working anymore. It worked. Yeah. It turned out bad. Mm -hmm. Now we need to fix it. Yeah. And I feel like they're... Uh... The imminent danger, too, for them specifically is oddly similar. You know, I was thinking about Sybil writing through and, like, she is in danger of, like, these, like, angry white men, these soldiers that are not on her side potentially capturing her and harming her. And, like, I kind of felt like Greta was in the same situation, like all these anchors on Fox News and these politicians and Trump who are just, like, these angry white men who are used – they're used to their power – and the influence that they have over people and they don't like that this little girl is a threat to that. And mm -hmm. so they attack her. They call her mentally ill. They call her a pawn, which I also wrote that about, you know, Sybil too. Like people say, oh, she's just a pawn for like other people's gains. And people yeah. said the same thing about Greta, you know, like as if that these girls couldn't speak on their own and as if they don't have their own agendas and their own action. But like these guys, like I was thinking about too, like corporations are kind of like the modern monarchies, you know, oh, of they like are. these 
awful men who are putting people in danger for their own gain, monetary gain specifically, and their power hungriness, and they're just not concerned about the people who are losing their lives. Well, it's interesting, too, because both corporations Mm -hmm. and monarchies groom young teenage boys to take over. Yes. But they are refusing to believe these Mm -hmm. verbal, um, like, verbal declarations from these young teenage girls. Yeah. And they're saying, this is not your place. You're hysterical. You didn't happen. Mm -hmm. You're a brat. You're mentally ill. Mm -hmm. Like, denying that the story took place because they weren't the ones groomed for that position. Yep. And and it means that they're a threat because of it. And I also love that both of these girls weren't just here for the battle. They are here for the war. You know, Sybil could have done that ride and then like literally done nothing else. Right. But she became a messenger in the war. She knew that she couldn't do much. She couldn't get a military pension, but she did what she could because she knew that it was the right thing to do. And she felt strongly that like that was her cause to take up, you know? And she's like, yeah, I'm not just going to make one ride and be done. She goes, I have a skill that I'm going to use for the rest of this war. And I think Greta knows that she has that same skill too. Mm -hmm. She's like, for some reason I can influence people. They listen when I talk. Not all of them, (laughs) but a lot of them. So she's like, you know what? I'm here for the long haul. Like Greta is not going to go away and be silent about this issue. She's still striking every Friday. I don't know from what now, but like, you know, she strikes because she's here for the long haul. Mm. I also adore the story about their dads. Like, (laughs) yes, Henry was a loyalist. He was a loyalist. And mm-hmm. I, you know, Greta's dad was not a vegan. He was not this green guy. But at some point, and, and we don't know that this happened with Sybil and Henry, but at some point, Greta said, the collapse is imminent in my lifetime. Yeah. And, and Sybil could have said the same thing to her dad. Like, you're going to die and I'm still going to live under a monarchy that does not treat me fairly or give me a voice. Yeah. And that's what Greta's saying. Like at some point you will die and I am going to be stuck in mass extinction. Yeah. Like it's dads specifically in this case, realizing like looking at their daughters and being like, wow, I could help (laughs) potentially solve the issue that could threaten your existence in the future, or I could try and make your future better. Right. And I think that that's what, especially like young girls, young people taking to the streets and protesting, that's what it's showing us that like, you might not care about my future, but like I do, I'm here for this. Like I'm going to step up and I'm going to say something and I'll be a hero even if I'm not perfect. Right. Because that's another thing about the two of them, you know, like people don't even believe that someone did what she did, you know, and people have a lot to say about, you know, Greta. And I just feel like they're like, yeah, of course, like there might be some problems with like, did I have a saddle or not? Or like, did I make my mom quit my her career or not? You know, but like heroes don't have to be perfect, but we have to have them <laughs> because right. if no one's going to do it. If no one warned that 40 miles of people, that could have changed the course of the war. Yeah. Like, we don't know how big of an impact these small 
steps and these small people and their voices have, you know, like if it hadn't been for Greta Thunberg, like would we be talking about climate change as much? Would we have more money and more resources going into sustainability? I don't know. Yeah. You know, would people in Sweden stop taking flights as much? Probably not. Like no, and five, <laughs> 10 years ago, people, I think we're still more on the denial train. Yes. The average person. Yeah. Um, the, the far, far, far right are gonna, are there still on the denial train? Mm -hmm. Like no matter what, but I think the average person was still like, oh, what I do doesn't matter that much. Yeah. And now it's like, oh, what I do can make a difference. And also again, if we put more resources into making reusable grocery bags more available and Mm -hmm. making them better and, you know, like those changes do have a difference. And you know, the changes in how we see teen girls makes a difference. Like, I don't care if Sybil didn't even fucking exist. I mean, we know she did. But I don't care if the story is true or not because the her existence in that story makes a difference. Right. You know? And it's like we said, it's a metaphor for the average American person. Yeah. And I also just love that, I mean, people showed up because of them. Mm-hmm. That was like a really clear image that in is my cool. mind of like, She gets home from this ride all night. I mean, come on. She had no idea what she was going to come home to. She was like, am I going to come home to my house and my family killed? (laughs) Like, my house burned down? Or am I going to come home to a bunch of soldiers? And, like, she came home to a bunch of soldiers. And, like, Greta's like, maybe I'll sit outside of the Swedish parliament for three weeks and no one will talk to me. And I'm just cold and wet. And uh, that'll be it. But that didn't happen. People rallied around these girls. And I just think that that is this image that is gorgeous in my mind and i love i love the imagery of the rain like her mm-hmm. and her little yellow mm-hmm. raincoat and like th- as the story goes sybil's yeah. riding through the dark and the rain mm-hmm. like that's a they're heroes both these little, they are. little girls they are. are heroes <laughs> and i love it it's such a cool story it is are you ready to toast? I am. Who would you like to toast this evening? So I, mine's really simple. I just, little voices for big change. Mm. I just, mm-hmm. Sybil had such a little voice and yeah. she just took a stick and it beat on people's shutters. <laughs> and I love it. I love it that, yeah. you know, she did what Paul Revere did and they probably got the idea from him but yeah. she did it and she did it successfully mm, just it. like Greta got that example Cheers. from her great uncle uncle friend <laughs> all right I am going to toast people who walk the walk Greta yeah. makes <laughs> her life very difficult by trying really hard to be carbon neutral and like actually do the shit that she talks about and and I kind of like that she has accepted that she's like, yeah, I uh, don't have enjoyable trips to across the Atlantic Ocean. She's like, it fucking sucks. <laughs> like, <laughs> and sometimes, you know, I'm overwhelmed, but like I'm on mass transit because that's the m- most carbon efficient way to travel. And she goes, and I am crying on a train in front of a bunch of people. <laughs> like, but she just chooses to do these things because she she's not just saying empty words and i love that i love that she walks the walk Walk it baby cheers all right now what are you enjoying in pop culture this week okay 
I love that zoos have gotten so much better. Yeah, they're okay. pretty good. Now. So I know <laughs> that you went to the zoo for your brother-in-law's birthday like mm-hmm. a couple weeks ago, and then I went with the girls. And at the Maryland Zoo in Baltimore, there are all these old cages. The mm-hmm. animals used to be in these old cages in the front part of the zoo. And this is 15 years ago, 20 years ago, they had animals in these. Um, and you would walk down uh, to, like, the big animals, mm-hmm. like the... The bears. Elephants. And the, yeah. The, yeah. But I just love that our zoo just recently reopened mm-hmm. the empty cages. And they're like Victorian, Victorian. iron cages. And they put these signs on each one of the cages. This was the animal that was in here. This is a Victorian relic. The reason they used to make cages like this is because they were interested in putting the animal on full display and not Mm -hmm. in the comfort of the animal. And like we just went down like I went down with the girls and we just read every single one. Yeah. And it's like I know a lot of times people who are definitely like environmentally friendly or who are like animal rights, animal rights, like Mm -hmm. vegans, like they can be very against certain zoos and aquariums, but Mm -hmm. most of the national ones are really fucking good. Yeah. They're like saving animals from the wild that Mm -hmm. can't be, you know, and zoos can't buy animals anymore to like prevent poaching. I just, it was really cool to read all the signs and be like, when this cage was built, it was state of the art. Yeah. And it's like a circle cage with like a nothing in it. And it was two male lions. Yeah. And like a cage smaller than the room I'm in right now. Yeah. I was like, that's absurd. Yeah. I also, that going and seeing the old cages, like was so good for my brain because I remembered it from when I was a kid and then they changed it. And like, it hasn't been that way for, like you said, like 15 years. So like, I was like, but where the fuck were these cages? I know that they were here, but I don't know where they are anymore. Because they just shut down the whole alley because they were preparing this, you know. And I think it's actually a great example of, like, living with your problematic past and acknowledging it and doing better and being like, and let us tell you, like, this is what was going on and it wasn't okay. And now we're doing better. And, like, now, like zoos aren't these like torture places right it wasn't like, a prison or like we're trying to make them better you right. know and like obviously not all zoos are like this and like oh there, there are still are a lot of zoos that are freaking insane yeah but just the you know having enrichment for the animals and yeah. like it's just so much cooler now and i just exactly what you said when i walked through it i was like you know good on baltimore for like acknowledging their problematic past yeah with zoos yeah. Good for them. Good I for thought them. it was great. I did too. Okay. I, lo- I loved it. Okay. So I am going to recommend uh, Pinterest. So <laughs> this is, I was very against Pinterest years ago. Oh, yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. it's so fucking dumb. I just don't like, understand pin your it. <laughs> I am promoting it in this very specific sense. Okay. Um, so it's really relaxing for your brain to just kind of scroll through like very pretty things. It reminded me a lot of Tumblr, um, <laughs> but with like less porn in your face. Right. Um, and I was thinking about it in like a sustainability kind of uh, vein of like, I've been trying to not just buy things that like, you know, like clothing pieces that I'm like, oh, that'll be cute. Maybe I'll wear it. You know, I still do that occasionally, but like I'm trying to like make a wardrobe that like, 
I'm investing in. Like I'm, I, I like time more timeless pieces, you know, cause like I, and I, and I use Pinterest to do that. Cause like, I'll look at, I'll like go through and I'll just like, cl- like I'll save all the clothes, the outfits that I like. I'm like, okay, what about that af- outfit do I like? And I'm like, I like those wide pants. I'm like, right. okay, I'm going to buy a pair of like wide rust colored pants, you know, and I didn't find them right away. So I waited until I found like the right pair, you know, and then I bought them and I wear them all the time. Right. And it feels good to be like, okay, I know what I'm looking for because obviously these trousers keep popping up in my feed. So like, that's something like if I get them, I will actually wear them. Yeah. So I was just thinking about that and like, you know, Greta's kind of vain of like, you know, being more conscious about like your consuming and stuff like that. And like, they're from old Navy. They're not some kind of like fancy, yeah. <laughs> fancy brand or like sustainable brand. Like, you know, you know, I still buy clothes off of like Amazon and at target and whatever, but I'm trying to be like a little more mindful about it. So that's cool. And Pinterest has just been helping me with that. Um, and I like it and yeah. it's relaxing. If you just want to scroll for like five, 10 minutes, it's nice and it feels better for my brain than Instagram. All the memes on Instagram. Those TikTok videos, I think they're like messing with my brain because it's the same songs over and over oh, again. It's crazy. It's like really it's crazy. rattling my brain because it's like, I don't, the repetitive nature of it is, I think, like fucking me up. And then anyone you watch, you're like, well, I'll just watch the next one. Yeah. And then you look up and it's been 30 minutes and yeah. you're like, what is happening to me? I don't know. Um, <laughs> I will say sister this year, her New Year's resolution was to only buy something if she's replacing something else. Mm. So like if mm-hmm. something breaks mm-hmm. or gets destroyed. So that's what she's been doing this that's whole year. Replacement buying only. I was I like, like, that's that. absurd. <laughs> <laughs> Not going to do it, but I really respect it. I could <laughs> never. I am a, I mean, I'm not a huge spender, but. Mm-hmm. I definitely like if a party or something's coming, I'm like, all right, all oh, new, yeah. all new decor. Oh yeah. Time to party. I mean, fall is coming. So I am, look, I already bought a new sweater. Halloween. I don't need one. Halloween is here. <laughs> it's imminent. It's imminent. Okay. okay. Guys, it's spooky season. Oop, oop. Okay. Um, all right. Well, we yeah. love you. Thank you for joining us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if mm-hmm. you want even more of this conversation, if you want to hear more about our personal lives and our stories, you can join us on Patreon. Yes. Every week, you get to hear more. A little bit Do of you extra. Want more? <laughs> you should uh, <laughs> want more after this episode. <laughs> so join us. You can join us for as little as a dollar a month. And mm-hmm. it just helps pay for all of this creme de menthe and uh, all these beers and all the cocktail ingredients um we have so many liqueurs and it makes me feel not so shitty about ignoring my kids to do the podcast research exactly i'm like i got a dollar for it yeah (laughs) they're watching tiktok and melting their brains and we're in here and it's fine because we have a dollar thank you for your dollar thank you for that dollar (laughs) um (laughs) and if you don't want to spare the dollar if you could go over to apple Podcasts and rate and review the podcast that would be just delightful or if you rate and review us on anything else oh yeah screenshot it and send it to us we don't check all of them and there's a lot of online podcast review like websites that we're on that i am not aware of that like (laughs) i've looked at before and i'm like this is too deep yeah so if you are talking about us let us know we'd love to hear what you have to say if you have any corrections for our little podcast over here please let us know you can email us at herstorintherocks at gmail.com yeah oh and somebody recently asked me 
if I could put a search button on the website. Oh. I'm working on that. Okay. Because people are like looking for certain women, but oh. they don't want to scroll through all 300 or whatever episodes. That makes sense. Um, Don't know how to do it. But Googling we'll figure it, it out. We're figuring it out. Because <laughs> We're know- not historians and we're not website people. No. If anybody wants to volunteer to be in charge of the website, <laughs> you can do it. We love nothing for more. as little as zero dollars a month. Yeah. Okay. Um, but after all that, uh, we want you to mostly never forget that well-behaved women don't force their teenage daughters to go to school. Yeah, and they don't <laughs> make history. Never. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>